Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up and welcome to the Believe in Hornets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by Bat Online. My name is Sam, Sam Dracula, if you want to be formal with it. And this week, we have a guest, James Plowright. He is a writer for At The Hive. He co-hosts a podcast called At The Hive Live. Um, his, his Twitter, British underscore buzz, all that is all his information is uh in the description of the episode if you want to check them out but we uh we kick it for a little bit uh talking hornets basketball you know there's a even though we're in the this weird like dead zone but like post free agency pre training camp it is still fun to talk about the hornets and how we got here as a franchise and then what the franchise can get into you know what kind of fun what kind of trouble they can get themselves into in the upcoming NBA season. If you're new around here, I highly suggest, you know, looking into the back catalog of the Believe in Hornets podcast. You know, um, in the last, I don't know, month or month and a half or so, at least in going into July, like post-draft, we had Rod Boone on the show, Sam Farber. We've had Matt Moderno talking about Ish Smith. He does the Believe in Wizards podcast, so... He was very qualified to talk about Ish Smith's arrival in Charlotte. I guess return to Charlotte, but arrival to the franchise. We also had Cyrus Satches on the pod. Uh, he's the co-host of the Rick Barry Show to talk about Kelly Oubre and what he can bring to the franchise as a new addition, a very new addition uh, to the Hornets. Uh, James and I will talk about that as well. And then most recently, we had Kevin Borba. He covers... Texas, University of Texas basketball very closely. So he shared his thoughts on Kai Jones. Um, that was two episodes ago. And last week's episode featured Sam Purley from Hornets.com. So, you know, it's it's the offseason, but we're still going strong here at the Believe in Hornets podcast. And I appreciate every single one of you that's that listens, that leaves a review, that tells a friend, that shares it on social media. It means the world to me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's helping the show grow, which I'm very appreciative of. So before I bring in James, I want to say thank you to Bet Online for sponsoring this podcast. As always, you know, it's that time of year. It's football season. It's, it's, it's right on our doorstep. And as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season, Bet Online is the number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest, the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest, open now at BetOnline. So go to the website, that's BetOnline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. 
take advantage of their opening day super promo. It's you make a bet on the Thursday night game between the Bucks and the Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25. This is only for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. That's NFL100, all one word, no spaces. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports book experts. James Plowright is with me. James, how you doing? I'm doing good, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for coordinating with the uh, the time difference. You know, it's it's uh, it's early for me. What is what what's it for you right now? It's just afternoon? past two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so I'm. I'm t- taking a late lunch break today for for this during my work day, and I, and I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's uh, always great to speak to Hornets fans, people who cover the Hornets. Um, it's even greater to speak to people who are outside the United States, just because you get a, a real flavor for like how international the sport is. You know, we, you see it in the draft, you see it on the court, but I know on on my channel, like I've talked to. Other Hornets fans from New Zealand and Australia, like folks in Italy, like this is a global game and it's really refreshing to talk to folks outside the American bubble about this sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd say basketball as a general sport is much more popular in, in Europe and probably the rest of the world than it is in, in England where I live. Um, I think other sports like the NFL is I think becoming much bigger over here even though it's got like a, a very small footprint, like a participation base and basketball's played by lots of people, but it just isn't something of, of a huge amount of interest for a lot of people. And there's a long list of reasons that I can't go into about why that is, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's always great to always keen to talk Hornets, as you can probably imagine. Yeah. I don't speak to many people who I know in this country about the Charlotte Hornets. So any excuse I have to go on a podcast, to go online and, and talk some Hornets, I'm always going to take it. Yeah, so, you know, we're on a Zoom call right now. If you're listening to this, you have, I see Lamella jersey. I see uh, Adam Morrison jersey behind you. Yep. A, how long have you been following the Hornets? And B, why the Hornets? Coming Because you're in Manchester. Absolutely. Yeah. So that Adam Morrison jersey, you can see my background here for for the podcast listeners. Uh, That was my first ever NBA jersey I bought. Right. So my my story, and I've told this a few times, but my story is that I had a a very good friend in school who started a school basketball team and he ended up going play Div Div 3 in college in the States. Um, I don't think he even ever got on the court. But like in the UK, he was like a basketball god to me and my friends when we were growing up because he could do all these things. And um, he started a basketball team. He dragged me along to play it. I was always like a jack of all trades, like kind of pick up any sport. And I'm like small, slow, not very athletic and have like tiny hands. So I have zero, well, not zero, very minimal basketball talents. But I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll get involved with the team. And uh, I wanted to get an NBA jersey because everyone else who's going to this training for this team had a jersey, right? And I, I didn't have one and I felt kind of left out. And I was going to the States that summer because my, my grandma lives over there in, in Alabama. Um, so when I went out and visited her, I went to the first sports store I found, which is a Reebok store, and there were two jerseys. A Adam Morrison, Charlotte Bobcats jersey, who'd just been drafted, so this was 2006, mm-hmm. and a Cleveland Cavaliers LeBron James jersey. Uh. 
And it was a <clears throat> quite a sliding doors moment where I went, well, I know who LeBron James is. Like, I, yeah, I've never been one to like go mainstream. I've always liked to kind of like find my own alley. And if anyone's a Charlotte Hornets fan, even if you live in Charlotte, like it's very easy to support a team that isn't in your city these days with everything that you have. So I think this is the same. For, sorry, I think this is the same for any Charlotte Hornets fan that you have to have that passion for like the, the kind of slightly unknown, um, kind of like finding a, a new indie music band first type thing. And I went with the, the unknown one. I didn't even know where the Charlotte Bobcats franchise was based. Um, I didn't know who Adam Morrison was. And I bought that jersey. And from there, it just completely snowballed into a point where I, I describe myself as like some hybrid fan journalist, right? Because I'm not just like someone who will just follow the team completely loyally and praise absolutely everything they do and say that I love everything. Um, at the same time, I don't want to pretend that I'm like some journalist because everything I do is is part-time, voluntary. It's not my key role and it's from abroad and I will always support the team. So, and I think there's more of a, a line for that kind of role in today's like mediaverse than ever used to be. It was kind of like your fans and your journalists. Whereas now I, I do feel you can merge those two together, have like, you know, support the team, be a, be a strong fan while also having like intelligent kind of managed conversation around it as well. No, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, it's for me in that respect, it's all about how your information is presented. Like you just make it clear if you're coming from like what point of view you're coming from. Um, whether it's like opinion based or something you're reporting or something that you're being critical of. Um, it's always nice to have something specific to point back to versus like that emotional connection. Um, and then, you know, the emotional connection can drive the the um, the point you're trying to make as well. But it you know, we're we're, we're learning, you know, as, as people as in, in the Internet age that you can you can do both um, pretty effectively. And you see it in, from all over because especially in social media, you follow you tend to follow people versus like topics and you're following that person because of whatever emotional connection they're putting out there. And, you know, you may see some other stuff along the way, but that is kind of how people stand out in this very crowded internet world. Um, so I, I feel you wholeheartedly. And it's, it's really cool also um, because if I'm in Charlotte, I follow Manchester City. You're in Manchester, and you. It's the follow. wrong team. It's the wrong Manchester team you're following. Like, Sam, sorry. So I'm gonna edit. I'm gonna edit all this, and I'm gonna make, <laughs> I'm gonna make, it, I'm make it sound like you're a City fan. So. No, uh, and then you're in Manchester, and you follow the Hornets. It's like a, it's it's very cool. It's very cool. So I'm very happy we can link up in that respect. Um, but yeah, looking at the court, you know, we have in Charlotte, I think a very positive outlook on where the Hornets are headed. Um, I think last year, and I want to get your opinion on last year in its in, like in its entirety in a second. But like, I think last year the, this the franchise was ahead of schedule. They overachieved, especially in the first half of the season. You know, injuries sank things and just took things in a completely different direction. But we saw a glimmer, a glimpse of what this team could be um, through the first few months of the year. And when I look at what they did this off season and ahead, I think things are, are pretty. Right, it seems to be a plan in place. Uh, James, what are your thoughts on last season um, in its entirety, in it as like a holistic point of view? So, if you take out the first two games and where we, I think the team lost to like the Cavs and OKC, yeah. and there was like absolute panic in Hornets <laughs> fandom. 
if you take out those two games, the first half of last season was the most enjoyable time I can remember of since 2006 when I started following this team of watching the Charlotte Hornets play basketball. Um, I'm not saying that it was the, the best team in terms of like wins because it was the, the 48 year win year under Steve Clifford. But in terms of just like watching a young team with potential, just playing, like sharing the ball, playing exciting basketball. And you knew it wasn't all like you'd not mortgaged your future for it. There was, there's a, you know, a treasure chest of assets that's still, that's still available for them. It was pretty an incredible experience. And I mean, I, I was pretty positive of the teams. Like I think that win total last year was around 36 or 37. It wasn't an 82 game season, but like if it was an 82 game season, it was, it's basically just under 500 or a little bit way down under 500. I remember thinking like, look, I, I didn't think the Charlotte Hornets were going to make the playoffs last year. I thought they were going to finish in the, the kind of play in seedings, which is where they did in the end. But like you said, due to injuries, it, they were 24 and 20 when Gordon Hayward got injured. And if it was not for that injury, and not only that injury, they're actually okay after that. It was then that PJ Washington got injured, Devontae Graham got injured, Malik Monk got injured. It was just a con- constant list. Even Terrozier was playing with a, like a, we think a broken wrist or some form of break yeah, in I, his hand. I was blown away by it when he showed up to the, uh, to the, like, yep. the end of season interviews with the cast. I was just like, what? Terry's been hurt. I'm so like, we'll jump ahead, but yeah, salute to Terry for playing through that because I had no idea he was hurt. Yeah. And, and I mean, his, his shooting had dropped off, but everyone just thought, oh, it's because he's carrying such a load and yep. teams keying in on him. But yeah, that and he was also playing injured. So l- last season was really fun. Uh, like I mentioned, it, it was fun experience. Then, you know, I was always through the season, not letting my hopes get too high, not letting my hopes get too high. And I was always said, I'm just waiting for someone to take it all away. And the the injury luck did take it all away. And it then became about trying to cling on towards the end of the season. Can we cling on to the seventh seed? Can we cling on to the eighth seed? And it was a pretty depressing finish. And that last game against the Pacers yeah. was probably the worst single game I can remember that also the Charlotte Hornets playing in like the last 15 years. So I think it really was a roller coaster ride and it started like all roller coaster rides. You're clunking up slowly, you're clunking up, you're going to the top and then the drop happened and we, we never really came back. So, um, but it, it, it was a, certainly from like a coverage point of view and I, I don't know how, how you find it doing your YouTube stuff and your podcast stuff. There was a heck of a lot to talk about last year. Yeah, so yeah, I was I live streamed during all the games, and it was it was always interesting. It was mostly good early. Uh, it was like we had the first <laughs> section. Like ten years from now, I'll look back on this last year in like chunks. We had why isn't Lamelo starting? Just all that in the in the chat, and then Lamelo just popping off like that 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 stretch and the team in general. Miles Bridges emerging, all that stuff, and then you have the injury like that final third ending with the not so great ending with like the Wizards game and then the Pacers game. And then it's like, all right, well, oh, it was fun while it lasted. Hopefully we can get lucky in the lottery and just kind of shifting towards that as a, as a fan base. But on the positive side, we saw signs of it. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that the Hornets didn't play well in that game is because the team, those players, a lot of those players haven't been in that type of situation before. Now they have. Um, it's one game, but that's experience they didn't have before, and they felt lost 
at this stage that they haven't felt before. So I, I want to imagine that when those players are in that position again, hopefully next year, they will do everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen again. And I think the front office took notice of that when you look at the moves they made. They, the team got way more experience, way more um, depth in um, a lot of key positions uh, to hopefully make sure the mistakes of the past don't repeat in the future. Absolutely. And I think the team went into the offseason like, with a little bit of a bitter taste in their mouth yep. of how things ended. And I actually just don't think that's a bad thing. Like, If they'd finished seventh and, I don't know, got to the playoffs and like everyone probably would have been pumping them up about how great they were. Whereas now the, the tone of like national conversation is a little bit different. It's, uh, well, it, you know, yes, they had injuries taken away and everyone does note that, but they finished 10th and they're probably going to finish around there again. That's kind of a lot of the projections you're seeing. And I, I'm always, I think, especially with like young teams, it's a really easy way to motivate people to, to try and get that them against us mentality. And people are beginning to count them out already. And I think having that little bit of motivation when you're working out over summer, I think that can be a really good thing for a young team not to get caught up too much in their own hype, mm-hmm. like and and finishing wherever they finish in the end with tenth in the East, like yeah. uh, you know, it's they're not that's not gonna help that be the case. So yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. And I I'm like the alternative is you know if things went well, the Hornets at their peak. They were a four seed. That's where the Knicks finished, and they lost in five to the Hawks. So, in like knowing what we know now, I'm yeah. I would love I would love a five game series for the Hornets, but I don't think they're being that Hawks team, and I don't think uh, I think that that loss could be something good long term, like you mentioned. So I'm, I'm pretty okay with how things shook out now that we're not living in it <laughs> anymore, uh, because it was very annoying at the time and. Uh, disappointing at the time. You can see it on the players' faces and amongst the fan base as well. But I think long-term, it'll be a good thing. Uh, What I also think is interesting is like, if they have, let's say they finish seventh or sixth or something in the East, I think you know how the draft would have played out. And I think we know that from this past draft is that wherever they finished, Ty Jones would have slipped because they ended up trading with the Knicks who ended up finishing fourth in the East to select Ty Jones. And, you know, your scouting of the prospects in the draft probably isn't going to change. Your approach isn't going to change to that if you finish 10th in the East or 6th in the East, whatever it is. So it's quite interesting. I think you can almost like look back at, right, if they had finished 6th or 5th, they would have probably just drafted Kai Jones where they were and and stayed put, which is interesting because it's just not often you can look back on that and be like, you can see what the other path would have been so clearly. Um, Whereas now they've... I know they had to trade a pick to do it, but they've got that Kai Jones selection and James Bucknight, mm-hmm. you know, this reported top eight lock pick who slipped. And they've, with the offseason moves they've made, this is the big thing, so much flexibility going forward, like financially with the salary cap. And if you think back about the last kind of core team of Marvin Williams, Kid Gilchrist, Cody Zeller, Kemba Walker, Nick Batum, like there was so much inflexibility with what the team could do season to season. Like covering the team, there just wasn't much change in personnel yeah. like year to year because the salary was all just there and they were all in four and five year deals and there wasn't much to do. Whereas now in this past summer, you've seen like, you know, five, six players of the roster turnover and both Mason Plumley, Kelly Oubre have got non-guaranteed deals next year. So that then gives Hornets decision. Do we want to pick them up? Do we want to 
go, you know, dip back into the cap space world of free agency. And I think that's something that both Mitch Kupchak, when, it, when he's something he inherited really from Rich Cho of the previous era as GM. Um, and it's something that I think him and Michael Jordan will have sat down and been like, we don't want to lock ourselves into a group who will be like a borderline playoff team for year after year. And I think that's one thing they're not going to do until they know, not just feel, until they know they are that kind of top four seed in the East sort of team. Yes. Um, and I, I was talking um, to Sam Perley about this last week that, you know, looking at the roster, only Miles Bridges is, is from the Kemba era, you know, and that wasn't that long ago. That was two off seasons ago. And the amount of turnover in that short amount of time is really astounding because even because it's not turnover for the sake of turnover. This team is better than it was two years ago, at least on paper. Um, and I think that a lot of credit does, is deserved to go towards uh, Mitch Kupchak and the rest of the front office because they, they've, they've bodied it. You know, it sucked losing Malik Monk for free. Um, it sucks saying goodbye to Devontae. Um, but those moves allowed these other moves to happen. And in its totality, this offseason is looking pretty fruitful. And the, the depth on the wing um, and the depth in the backcourt, the added veteran presence in Ish Smith, Kelly Oubre, uh, Mason Plumley, who's a, a legit NBA player, like that is an upgrade over Cody Zeller. And, you know, there's, I think the center spot could still use some love, but there's still question marks around Vernon and Nick. Like this roster is, um, is in a very good spot, a very, very good spot. And um, I'm excited to see how it kind of all shakes together because uh, I, you know, I don't expect everyone to stay healthy all year long. And the Hornets have options they can go to. You know, they don't have to, we, if, if Hayward goes down, you know, they wave Caleb Martin, Cody Martin's still on the team. Jalen McDaniels is still, still there. Those guys aren't at Hayward's level. We got Kelly Oubre there now. Like, it's different. The energy is different. And I'm very excited for it. I, I think the Kelly Oubre signing is a the home run of home runs. Like, yeah. I give it an A+. Plus. I was, when he was available for trade when he was on Phoenix and he ended up going to Golden State, I was hoping Charlotte would sniff around then because I, I've always liked Kelly Oubre, even out of the draft. And you look at his position now and we've got a, a two, a guy, you know, Kelly can play both the two guard, three guard, some power forward, but I don't think we'll need him to on this roster. So straight away, you've got like an experienced NBA vet who's like a, what, 14 to 18 point per game, like good point of attack defender as well who can back, back up both Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward. By the way, Gordon Hayward, very high risk of injury. We know this. You know, yep. Everyone knows this in the NBA. Yep. So you've got now a starter-level player basically coming off your bench if everything's projected to be straight. And he's a defensive playmaker, like yeah. steals, blocks, energizer, rebounding. And this team needed more defense. I, I think he's probably instantly the best wing defender on this team. Um, and yeah, to have him, yeah, to have him coming off your bench and the ability to step into your starting lineup, it just makes sense in so many reasons. And it didn't cost a lot of money. I, I would rather have him than Malik Monk on this roster 10 days out of 10. And I know that will be probably controversial because a lot of people say, oh, Malik probably like higher scoring upside and he's younger. But Kelly Oubre is a two way player. And this is what the roster really needed. And he's got size. And this, this Hornets roster last season was a small roster, just position by position. We were not large. And Kelly Uber really brings length, 
in terms of his wingspan. He's got a freakish wingspan and height as well. So um, I'm so supportive of that. I've, I've said it before that I'm so worried. Like if Kelly Oubre doesn't work out on the Hornets this year, then I think I need to really go back and wonder like how I watch basketball because for <laughs> me, it's like a match made in heaven. Yeah. I, I couldn't, it was my, my favorite move. I, I never thought he'd sign here. I thought he'd rather like sign for like the Emily at a contender rather than signing in Charlotte. But the, the salary cap dried up elsewhere and he ended up obviously coming here. I, I don't know if he was desperate to come here, if I'm being honest. I think he yeah. wanted to get paid and this was the place that could pay him the most and that's why he's here. I don't think it's like he decided to turn down contenders because he wanted to go to Charlotte. I, I think there's a little bit of that being built, pictured, which I just don't know if I quite believe that. I, I No, no source in there, but it's just yeah, my own interpretation and see how he's interviewed and... Uh, his approach to things. Yeah, there was that initial wave where everyone gets signed up once the moratorium was lifted, and then you have guys that came later. So when he when he was signed, there's only a couple teams, including the Hornets, that could like actually sign yeah. him to pay him anywhere what he's worth. Because um, th- there always seems to be a few guys like that every year. Like Nerlens Noel last year was another one of them. Like I think guys that um, who's a uh, Schroeder was another one this year where guys yeah. think they have a big paycheck coming their way and it just doesn't play out that way but that's the game's the game you know you gotta trust your people <laughs> um Taro, speaking of money tarot's year um signs an extension which i think a great for basketball like great for the hornets great for terry um but i think sends a great message to the fan base that um you know after losing my sorry not miles whoa whoa miles don't leave didn't mean to say that after losing monk after losing uh Devante, it, and you know, making a point to keep to, uh, keep uh, Terry here sends the message that, you know, the Hornets aren't only interested in acquiring guys and developing guys. They're also interested in keeping guys um, just because then I now the next domino to fall is Miles Bridges to hopefully extend him to keep him here because I think he's a major piece to the long term future of this franchise. And again, sends the right message to the fan base that, yo, the guys that you we do you see we draft guys that play, the guys that get better year after year after year, you fans, you can know that these guys are going to stick around and not going to bounce at the first opportunity. So what do you think about the Terry deal? And what do you think about the message it sends uh, to the fan base? I think I think the message is somewhat important, especially after this summer, like you said, of, of letting some of those guys walk and, and Kemba leaving, like you say, two years ago, where yeah. ultimately the team wouldn't pay him what he wanted. I think we have to be somewhat not overreact to that too much. Like there was also a period where we extended all of our rookies and it was Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Cody Zeller. And, and it ended up being Kemba Walker on a great value deal. Mm-hmm. But some of those extensions really got the Charlotte Hornets into trouble. So I think it's important that we don't like overcorrect, overcorrect too much. I think it's just important we keep it big picture, but especially after the summer we've just had, um, for the fans, it's, it was a strange look to let Devonte Graham and Malik Monk go, even though I, I think it was the right thing to do definitely. for the broad across yeah. things. Yeah, I think with that Terrazier deal, um, look, it was the max that he could receive. Um, but I think if he went into free agency next year, he was getting at least that amount. And depending like what Zach Levine did, I think he's the best free agent on the market next year outside of Zach Levine. And there were always teams who find out to get themselves cap space. And I did not want to take that risk of Terry going. So to have him locked up for, for the next three, four years is important. 
both on the court. But also, like, he he can play back at point guard. We saw it last year when Devontae Lamella went down. He kind of moved to point. And look, I don't think it's where he's best. But to have someone on your roster who can be, like, a starting-level point guard who can also just play, like, full-time at the two, I think there's some value and versatility there. The other thing, he's pretty much the veteran leader on this team. I know, yep. I know there are guys who are older than him, like Gordon Hayward, but... Terry's been here a while now. He's he's organizing like a pre-training camp um, meetup in Miami for like the Hornets roster in the summer. So guys have been going to be going down to Miami and Terry's hosting them. He's organized all of that. And those are the kind of little bits of like leadership that getting your guys together for whatever it is, week, 10 days before training camp together, that's where you're actually going to really build your like strong bonds between your teammates. And people are going to understand like the importance of each other and and those bonds are going to be important when you come into the season when you talk about trusting your teammates so i don't think you can also just like rule out oh you know that as well that is a key factor for trying to bring terry back is that he is a veteran leader for the team both on and off the court and and, you know he's he's last to be introduced in the in the player introductions he's the main event of that starting five for a reason the last two years and him sticking around is everything. You know, we saw the song, the Hornets get bailed out time after time. Like Terry time is a very legit thing. Yeah. And I don't want to clutch, yeah, clutch I, all the way through the year, all yeah, the way and, through. And I'm so glad as, as, as a fan, as someone who covers the team, I don't have to think about or cover or like, like, I don't know, project what the Hornets would do with a Terry Rozier as a lame duck in a lame duck uh, contract situation, because, you know, he's a very valuable asset and, you know, if the Hornets want to trade him down the line, they the more like they can. I hope they don't, but th- that isn't at top of mind. It's only basketball, which is excellent to see. So again, like I hope Bridges is next. Um, losing Bridges because t- all like everything I said about Terry Rozier's value to the team, like Bridges is looking like he could be that guy as well. You know, he was on the house mic welcoming fans back to the building. He's very vocal on the floor um, when the team isn't clicking right. And that's not even talking about what he can do on the court and how he's continuing to get better from a shooting perspective as well. And his connection to LaMelo Ball, those two guys are going to be the foundation of this franchise for a long time and hope they can sort that out uh, sooner rather than later. But what do you think about Bridges' vibe to the team and what he can bring in? I assume you'd like to see him extended as well. Um, yes. I, look, I want to see Miles back in the Hornets. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, do I want to see him extended or do I want to wait and see this upcoming season? I think it's a hard, hard decision. Um, okay. It, for me, it depends what Miles Bridges you're getting, right? Yeah. Because last year we saw two very distinct versions. So like pre the, the Gordon Hayward injury, which was 47 games, this was Mar Bridges' stat lines. It was 10 points, six rebounds, two assists, half a steal, 0.7 block. And he was like 37% from three, 49% from the field, which is like, he was playing like a power forward, energy, hustle, defense kind of role. That, that was his role. Look at after the Gordon Hayward injury. So this was 19 games and he had a, a two week or so break from, because of COVID, he had to, because um, of isolation, he, he couldn't play, but it was mm-hmm. 19 games. He doubled his points to 20 points per game. His rebounds were seven a game. Assists jumped to three. 0.88 steals, 0.9 blocks. But at the same time, not only did all his volume and his minutes increase and his role increase, 
52% from the field. So we actually got more efficient from the field and we're shooting the three ball at 44% as opposed to 37. So he's upticked everything and he's got more efficient at it. And I was looking at this before the podcast, like his pull-up game was one of his big developments. Yes, it was his playmaking, but his ability to like pull up both in the mid range and from three and Last season, Miles Bridges shot 43% on pull-up threes, which out of all forwards in the NBA, ranked fourth. Like, so you're talking about an elite pull-up three-point shooter, and a lot of that came after that Hayward injury. By the way, just ironically, Kevin Durant was like 54% on that list <laughs> and was like 6% higher than anyone else. Like, yeah. it was just, he was so crazy far ahead. But um, so what Miles Bridges are we getting? Are we getting the energy hustle Mars Bridges, who was a good player, don't get me wrong, but is a kind of a, a very much a role player? Or are we getting 20 point per game miles who can shoot threes and play make? And look, I, I really hope it's the latter, but I would understand the team being wary of paying Miles a full extension to be the 20 point per game player who we saw when that was only for a 19 game stretch of his like three, four season NBA career. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if you sign him for the extension, you probably get him for a discount then in the summer. Yeah. So I think it could play out similar to like the John Collins extension, where I think the 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 Hawks made John Collins an offer, he turned it down, maybe went in, he then went into restrictive free agency and pretty much signed a similar deal. And I think he was around 23 million per year, John Collins, which I think is probably the top end for Miles. And like his low end, I would maybe put like the Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac figure, like 16, 17 million, something like that. So I imagine it's something in that ballpark. I'm honestly torn on what to do. I think part of it will depend on how does he look in training camp? How's he been over summer? Like those things that we don't always get to see as as fans because we don't get to see all the behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Gordon Hayward said in his latest blog piece just the other day that uh, Miles is looking really good this summer. And, you know, that just little window makes you think maybe he's seeing 20 point per game miles, not 10 point per game miles. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see. I think he'll start power forward ahead of PJ Washington, which will be a a pretty big change for PJ, at least Um, for the last two seasons. It's basically been flipped the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I don't think anything's solved for sure. I think we're going to wait and have to learn how it goes from training camp. Yeah. And um, Brego talked about how these guys, or was a cup check? One of the someone in, in 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 the front office or staff said that everyone's in Charlotte. Like he hasn't seen the gym this busy ever. That was Bregan. Yeah, Brego he said, said that. that. Okay, yeah. So, and I think that speaks to everything. Like these guys are determined to get this right, to get this right going into next year. Um, rookies. Um, I want to talk to you about the rookies first uh, before I let you go. Um, you, we talked earlier about Kai Jones, uh, Book Knight, um, JT Thor in the mix, Scotty Lewis in the mix. Uh, what do you think about this rookie class coming in? And what are your expectations of them this upcoming year? Like, who knows what happens year two, year three, year four with these guys? But as these, this Hornets team looks to make a, run, a playoff like birth push, like, to be in that mix, do you expect these rookies to be um, contributors to that? And uh, if so, who do you think gets involved? Largely, no. I probably don't expect them to contribute that much. I think Thor and Lewis will spend most of the season in Greensboro. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like JT Thor. I think he could, like, I think him and Jalen McDaniels could, like, be fighting out for kind of that spot. 
Whether that spot's in the rotation, probably not for a healthy roster, but yeah. if there are injuries down the line, it's something I think keep an eye on that. Um, Kai Jones, if he gets any playing time, I imagine it'll be towards the second half of the season. Um, look, I, I still, I had ranked like kind of 11th or 12th on my big board. I, I like Kai Jones, but as we saw in Summer League, he's very good at things he does, driving, <laughs> yeah. dunking, rebounding, playing with energy, but he's like a tangled ball of energy <laughs> and rawness. And um, like, is he going to be able to shoot it yet? Can he make decisions in the middle of an NBA game? Like having someone like that, we saw it last year with Bismarck Bayumbo, having like a slow processor can just like completely kill your offense, especially in the Hornets system where everyone needs to touch the ball and move it and pass it. And, you know, that's one of the big things Mason Plumlee's good at. He's one of, one of the best passing big men yep. in the NBA, which I know people would, would think what, but if you look at his assist percentage, he really is. Uh, 10th, 10th in NBA in assist percentage for centers. So James Booknight's the one. There is an obvious now vacant role there at the backup shooting guard position because Malik Monk is gone. And it's basically going to be between... James Knight and maybe some Kelly Oubre. Uh, the, you know, the question is, can I, Kelly Oubre can't play both backup small forward and shooting guard at the same time. Yep. So it kind of then plays into like, well, Jalen McDaniels, does he get in ahead of Kelly Oubre at small forward and does that knock Kelly Oubre down? Those are questions that I don't think we know yet. But I think what we saw last year is like, Brego is not just going to throw rookies in at the start. Mello was coming off the bench at the start of the year. I think we can probably expect a similar thing where they will have a, a smaller role at the start mm -hmm. and it will gradually increase as the year goes along and they get to handle things and there's there's injuries that happen which creates opportunity um i think the one difference for this year is they've actually got a proper training camp not yeah. like a seven day week last year you know so there is an opportunity that if if buck knight really shows out in training camp he might just come and straighten as the buck backup straight away which which i would be absolutely fine with um because it I think that's probably the most likely way that people look at it is that Buck Knight comes in as the, as the, set, as the backup shooting guard and Kelly Ray plays the backup three. But um, I, I think they'll struggle for minutes early. Um, but Buck Knight is the one who I think could be in rotation from day one. Yeah, and I think I want to I want to see. Uh, so obviously I'm excited for the horse to to be on the court again. But what I'm looking for really looking forward to to seeing is how the veterans link up with the rookies. So like. I want Ish Smith to have his arm around James Booknight at all times. Like, I want those guys to be traveling together, like travel partners, roommates. Like, I think James Booknight can learn so much about from Ish Smith. So I, I feel confident in Booknight's ability to score off the ball. Uh, I think the long-term success for himself in the league is developing that uh, on-ball playmaker uh, position. And I think he can make a lot of money in this league if he can be that type of player. And playing next to Ish Smith, I think will be good for him. And then eventually learning the things that Ish Smith can do will be good for him as well. Uh, but I agree with you about Kai Jones. Um, I think Mason Plumlee like any, or any of the vets, if they see Kai Jones do any of the things he was doing in the summer league in a, a big NBA game, it's over for him. So, like, they're going to be in his, in his ear at all times if he does any of that crazy stuff he's trying to do in the summer league. That's not going to fly. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm really excited for it. The... Um, Oh, man. Uh, I think we got into everything. I think we covered everything. We talked about the vets. We talked about the rookies. Um, oh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to get into before we uh, say uh, goodbye here? I, yeah, I want to ask you. Yeah. Who, who are you? Who's your favorite center option? PJ, Plumlee, or someone else? Uh, 
if okay, so if if it's um, it's really just depend on who else is on the floor. So like I'm really struggling with my crunch time lineup, like the get a bucket lineup. I think it's Lamelo, Terry, um, Hayward, Bridges, and I want to put Mason out there. Um, if if it's if we need a stop, I I like PJ at the five. Um, just because, Interesting. Just because of switching ability, you know, like if the horns are caught into a. Uh, if they run a, like a pick or something like that, I think PJ can guard more positions than Mason Plumley. Um, if if it's a like if we need a shot, like a, like a if we're trying to get a bucket from outside the paint, then yeah, PJ's my my guy there um, at the five. But yeah, I think my I think we. You know what? After after talking it out, yeah, I think my crunch time five would be uh, Lamelo, Terry, Hayward. Miles and PJ. I think I'm, I think I'd go with that because they've done that yeah. before. That's been the crunch time five before, and if it's not working, it's not working. They have Mason Plumlee to go to, which is a nice thing to have. Yeah, I, I think it'll depend on matchup, um, but I, I do think Mason Plumlee has been somewhat forgotten. Maybe because it was the first move of the off season, the mm-hmm. trade, and like then your draft night. And everyone goes, oh, rookies. And we forget about actually we just traded for Mason Plumley. <laughs> and then there was the disappointment not to get Rashawn Holmes. Um, I think that kind of played on, on Mason Plumley a bit. But, I mean, I was doing some kind of looking into this a little bit. He was 10th in the NBA last year in screen assists per game. So, like, you talk about an elite screen assist guy. And, and on top of that, as I mentioned before, 10th in assist percentage. So, like, dribble handoff situations... He's great at creating for others, either with the ball through his through the kind of making his passes off the dribble handoff or without the ball, just screening the guy and creating driving lanes. And I think, no, he's not an outside shooter. He's not even a mid-range shooter. Mm. He's purely a dunker. But I think that is that is a huge thing, which he, he's got a better ball handling than like any previous center we've had. Was, you know, Cody Zeller, Bismarck Bimba in recent times. A little bit like Josh McRobertsy in his like, uh, super time in Charlotte like he his ability to handle the ball from the dribble handoff position just created so much offense and now you've got five guys who can all pass the ball on the floor at the same time and if PJ's in there he's the same he's another good guy at passing the ball so I love that we've got passing from the big man position and my, my only worry with Plumlee is that I think this is his age 30 season and his block and steal numbers have gone down by between like 25 to 20% the last two years compared to his first six. And like I was looking like, did you know Mason Plumlee was in the dunk contest in 2015? I, I did. I did know that, yeah. And well done. It had gone from my head. Ago. I for, well, so I forgot he played for the Nets. That was the thing. Like, I remember him like being in the thing, but I was like, what team was he on? Like, he was on the Nets? What? <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, I think his athleticism is beginning to wane. And I worry if that trend continues the next two years, yeah. Does he just does that start to have a real effect on his ability to protect the rim and get up and down the floor? Because his ability to like run the floor and get up for dunks and oops used to be a real strength. Now that's kind of waned, but his passing has really come on. If we could have just added his younger athleticism into his modern day passing, I think you'd have a, a really good player on your hands right now. But um, I, I think he's really going to help this team. I've really come around on that trade, and again, it, it makes this team better while maintaining a good amount of flexibility, um, which is just something that signing Rashawn Holmes and Noel to 12, 15 per year dollar contracts for the next four years, three, four years, which was going to have to be to get especially Holmes, 
that's going to put you back into that lock situation. So, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, really interested to see how the Mason Plumbing thing works out. It's the best center we've had on the roster, probably. Um, I don't want to say I'm forgetting someone here. I want to say since Al Jefferson. Dwight, but, I think Dwight was okay. I, I didn't mind Dwight. I don't uh, okay. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so hard to analyze Dwight because yeah. it's it's a roller coaster from yeah. minute one. Like, it, it comes you know, with a lot. It comes with a lot. It, it, it comes with a lot. <laughs> and that team really struggled. And maybe that. But but yeah, in terms of like player for player at the time, you're right. Dwight was a, a better player. Whether he helps his teammates as much. Yeah. That's, a, yeah. I, that's another question. <laughs> like, And it's a, it's a hard one. I think the NBA has had a hard time figuring out. So, But yeah. um, the dribble handoff is like... The Hornets did that a lot, and whether it was Zeller, when Zeller was out there, the other team knew he wasn't going to shoot it. If Biz was out there on the dribble handoff, they just back off because he know he wasn't going to shoot it. And he was just, when Biz had it, when Zeller had it, they were just looking to get the ball out. You know, they weren't going to do anything with the ball when they had their hands on it at the top of the key. So, yeah, Plumlee in that, in that play set is a huge upgrade. And that's one of the reasons I wanted a shooter, just so that the Hornets can like extend the floor that way and have that other option. But having a guy that can play make from that part of the floor, very useful. Very, very useful. And then again, uh, well, not again, but I think Mason can teach Kai Jones a lot, can teach PJ a lot. They're, they're, those guys are going to learn a lot from a, a guy like that and emulate some of his best traits. And the Hornets can have a very nice little front court rotation at their hands. I've I think so. I have no idea what to expect from Nick Richards or Vernon Carey at all. Um, I feel even weird talking about it for two reasons: a) the weird COVID year, and then the summer league, and like, eh. and then it's just it's just not a lot to go off of. Those guys have only really played garbage time, and then I, Vernon Carey got a few starts and he had one good game against the Nets where they were daring him to shoot. And to his credit, he made them. And then he started fouling everybody, and we haven't really seen him since. So I don't know what to expect from those bigs, but I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because of the weird. Um, COVID year. They got drafted in November and the season started in December. They went to the G League bubble. It was just so strange. So who knows? We could, the Hornets could have a really like really nice asset in the front court and no one really knows about it. It's possible. I, I don't know what to expect much yeah. like you. I, I think the big thing with Vernon Carey is just his communication on defense. He is a quiet guy. Yeah. Um, and to be a big man in the NBA, you talk about Miles being loud and talkative on the, on the court. You see the lights of Draymond you know, Green, like he's loud <laughs> he's talking loud. on the court. To play to play the center position, you've got to be able to communicate. And I think sort of a couple of times in summer league, sometimes Vernon Carey just wouldn't call out a screen to guards left. And like, I mean, I play pickup, even I do that. Yep. <laughs> so how yep. are you not doing that now? You know, into your second year, you've been playing basketball at a high level. Like that's basically. And if he's not doing that, he's not going to get on the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the, fen- the offense isn't uh, an issue. That's not something the team are worried about. It's can the team effectively defend while he's out there? And um, yeah, like, like you said, there was last year was not a good development opportunity for either of those guys. Um, but they both showed signs in the G League bubble. They both actually had a really nice G League bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and summer league wasn't quite as good for either, to be honest. But um, I don't know if one of those two, like when you draft those two, you hope that one of them comes through. So yeah. I think still the most likely one is probably Vernon Carey at this stage. Um, but we'll have to wait and see how it goes in the season. Yeah, I, I tend to, I'm on, I'm more on like team Nick Richards just because oh, really? I think his best skill set doesn't involve the ball. And I think he could fit into more different 
setups where rebounding yeah. and some interior defense. You know, he's not the super athlete or anything like that, but I think that he's more I, – I look at his role, like his potential role as more f- flexible than – He's definitely there. easier – definitely easier to figure him in like rebounds, catch yeah. lobs, block yeah. shots. The like you see, Just, yeah. you see that – that kind of role in the NBA bigs quite a lot. Like almost every team has a guy like that. Vernon Carey, which is like get the ball 15 foot out, like kind of semi self-isolate, sometimes post up, really good offensive rebounder. Like Ennis Cantry, it doesn't normally translate as well to the NBA level. I think I'm just trying to bank on, I think the team feel like Vernon has a better chance to shoot at the Nick. Um, And then on on the other side- That is more appealing than the other stuff. Yeah, but I I completely understand the concerns. I think the other thing is just younger. He's like three years younger, mm-hmm. and the hope is is that he can he can pick up some of those other things as he you know gets into his body. Like he lost a bunch of weight, still yeah. getting used to playing with that. So, uh, but I could I could see it going either way, and I could see it going a way where actually neither of them is the answer as well. We we've not seen anything that's going to really trump that at the moment. Um, but either way, I imagine one of them will be on the Hornets roster and one of them will be in Greensboro like for most of the season or if they flip it between the two that would could make some sense as well mm-hmm. um, do you have time for a LaMelo question oh we've got time for LaMelo All right. yeah, how have we got this far without talking about LaMelo let's gotta make the people wait for the main event you know listen <laughs> <laughs> alright so first off rookie of the year um, Hornets got very lucky to be there to draft him they selected him had an incredible year Little hiatus with the wrist injury, came back, not looking quite right, still doing this um, on the sidelines uh, when he did come back. I think he's fine, but even on the summer league, we know when he was in street yeah. clothes, he was doing this still that, with his wrist. That, that, that ruined the entire summer league viewing experience for me. When yeah. I saw them cut to LaMelo flexing his wrist at summer league, uh, I my my mood shifted for the next two weeks. Yeah, it was like, oh man. I, I think it's maybe it's just a thing that's just become a, a, a habit for him. That's what I'm telling myself, at least. Like, his wrist is fine. He's just kind of keeping it loose and warm. At least he didn't have, like, a heat pack like on it um, in, yeah. the, in the stands like he did um, when he was back playing in the post-injury. But that type of injury doesn't seem to be the type of injury that creates a, a, a recurring thing. It's a bone injury that, once it's healed, is meant to be fine. But largely, things are super positive for LaMelo. Um I think this kid's potential, we have, I don't even know what it is. Like, I don't know nope. if we've ever seen a player like him before between the off-court stuff and on-court stuff, his appeal. When I was in the building, uh, when they had fans back against the Raptors, uh, that, whenever he touched the ball, people lost their freaking minds. Like, LaMelo is something absolutely special. It was like, off, it was like it was like a mellow. It was like a combination of the Beatles and One Direction and whatever. I don't know. I'm dating myself here. I don't know. I'm 32. I don't know who, who's out. Uh, who the homies from South Korea? Uh, BTS. It was like BTS was out there whenever Lamelo had the ball in his hands. Um, and so there's that. Plus he's delivering on the court. And I think he has a he's going to be a multi-time All Star not in the not too distant future. What do you think about Lamelo? Um, what do you think he needs to do this offseason? What do you expect from him this upcoming year? I mean, firstly, I'm just incredibly jealous that you've got to see Lamelo Ball play live for the Charlotte Hornets, and I've not. So oh, um, I hope Ra- to have that. It helped that the I Raptors hope to have were that experience mad one day. Like, it was great. It was a very fun game. Yeah. Um, 
Look, I mean, he just had one of the best rookie seasons of uh, any player in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not like me over-exaggerating. Like, if you look at what he did statistically, it was. Um, look, I'm I'm from the Adam Morrison era, right? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen the Charlotte franchise go through a lot of struggles, and there's been a lot of times of hope and players of hope that have not panned out. And until I, until I see it, like, actually pan out, I will just always be, like, a bit, a bit of a cynic and a bit of a half, half, like, pint half empty type of person. Like, so the first thing I think of is, God, I just hope it's not Tyreek Evans version 2.0, mm. which is, like, great. Like, Tyreek Evans' first year averaged 20 points per game, five rebounds, six assists. Everyone's talking about being incredible. From there, it just kind of went downhill. Yep. And he's now like basically out of the league. Um, the chance of that happening to LaMelo is like tiny, 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 my I, I think he's a great teammate. Everyone loves talk. Everyone loves playing with him, which is absolutely huge. He works hard. These are all things that Tyreek Evans did not do, by the way. Um, but like you say, what is the ceiling? I have no idea because for the very best, it's... For someone coming off a rookie season like that, you can say, well, he's had one of the best rookie seasons in NBA history. That means he could be one of the best players in NBA history. I'd believe that, Mm -hmm. right? If you told me that happened, I would believe it. But there's a huge wide range of outcomes. There there was all these reasons for him to fail last year. No training camp coming back from the injury. Not playing since like 2019 with the Illawarra Hawks, only playing 12 games there like not having the best development system playing in Lithuania and in these other places. And he's still been like historically special. Um, so to see him succeed was absolutely incredible. He's already the most exciting player from a Hornets franchise, probably in franchise history. And he's played literally whatever after his wrist injury, like 40 something games. Um, what do I expect? Um, I'm expecting pretty big things. They were going to put the ball on his hands from minute one. They've gone and got people who match with his skill set and complement him. They're going to play fast. They've surrounded him with athletes. They've got some spacing. I expect him to to be playing pretty well, um, and they need him to be to be that. And especially if they let Devontae Graham go, they must believe in that. Yep. Um, so I, I don't want to put out like statistical averages what I think he should average, but. I expect him to to take a jump from next year and you might actually see less highlight passes this year, I think. I think. Because one thing James Borrego talked about is the next step for LaMelo is really to learn how to run a team and to control a team and run an offense and when to make a pass and when not to make a pass. And I think you saw Melo last year playing a pure instinct. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you don't want to take away that instinct because that what's making him special and great. But I wonder if there is a battle middle ground where he does some of the more basic stuff um, of kind of running the plays and getting people shots and stuff like that and, and leading a team a little bit better um, than just like always like constant kind of just purely emotion-based play that he, he did a lot of the time last year, which let me be on, let me be frank, like you could make a top 10 highlight tape from last year of Lamelo. And that would be better than most people's highlights for like the entire year. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I'm I'm expecting quite a lot. I'm expecting to see some growth there, um, and I'm pumped to see it. I just I just hope I just hope that wrist. If he's doing the, the, the old wrist flex in the yeah. game, 
And, you know, let's say he starts off the shooting, slowly shooting, like under 35% or something. You know, people are going to be saying that the risks are still bothering him. And I just, again, because I'm this, I can't take away that. I always look at how is it going to go wrong? I'm worried about that. I have to say I am, but um, no one else seems to be. So that's a, that's a reassuring thing so far. Yeah. 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 And I'm, man, I, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. Oh, let me just on one thing. One more thing on his potential. Do you think LaMelo just, we're in the high, we're in the hyperbole section on the podcast. So pardon, pardon this. Uh, Do you think LaMelo could be the best player on an NBA championship team? Um, I think he could be. Yeah. Okay. I think he could be. It's when someone's coming off a historically great NBA season for rookies, their potential is anything that we've seen. So I, I think he could. Like, you look at someone like Steve Nash. Uh, I know he didn't win an NBA championship, but look, that's partly down to some situation yeah, and that, things that could have gone yeah. a, a different way. He could have been a one or two-time champion. Like, So I'm not a big, like, um, oh, this person is a championship player or not, but I think he could be the best player on a championship team. Um coming off the season he's had. If, if he can figure out how to score efficiently out of isolations, I think last year we saw a lot of a lot of threes. We saw a lot of kind of the float at the rim, mm-hmm. but we didn't see much like kind of like pull up jumper, isolate, go at a guy and finish. He, he normally passed out of most of his isolations. Um, if he can master that, which is something that he'll have to do to be like, talk about like a, an NBA all-star or all-NBA level player, that's what he'll have to do. But I mean, he's just got the confidence that for a lot of people to like isolate and do like kind of te- wave everyone off and to create something himself, you have to be built a certain way to play like that. And I mean, Melo is a creative player, but he's also extremely confident. And I would actually say he's an arrogant player, which I think is a good thing because yeah. to be special, you have to be arrogant. It's probably, you know, it's something I really struggle with because like I'm really a not confident sports person i always like play everything down but the best of the best you, you have to be that way to have that mentality you can't let that outside noise like wear you down at all yeah. um yeah. and i think he's got the mentality for that yeah ask uh Compazzo about that from the nuggets <laughs> oh really <laughs> I, was, I can't i can't i guess i could say it but uh, i'll try to keep the podcast clean uh lamello because like you know he's like undersized um yeah and because there's no fans in the building you can hear everything so lamello was talking the maddest you know what, to Composite during the Nuggets game, which is a rip because I'm pretty sure the Hornets lost that game. But, hey. They did. I, I rate it, you know? If, 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 if no one's going to believe in you, you got to make sure you believe in you. And I'm, I like it. I like it from the I wouldn't expect anything else. Look, uh, it's um, Michael, Michael Jordan actually said that on The Last Dance because um, I was re-watching it recently. Uh, he said, it's easy to talk smack when you're up. Yeah. And he said, I can't remember who it was. Someone talked smack to him when they were when they were losing, and then he really respected them. So like, if Lamelo was talking smack to like Camposo, like five foot ten yeah. Argentinian guy who like the losing to the Denver Nuggets, like that's you know that just shows he's fearless, man. Like absolutely fearless. Even the the first preseason game against the Raptors, he was like he hit a three, turned to their bench, like he just got to the NBA. He's, he's already staring the bench down. Yeah. Like, All right, listen, we're, I'm here for it. Let's go. Yeah. Let's um, all aboard, innit? Yeah. Y- youngest triple double in NBA history. I've got it on my wall back here. Um, 
little little thing to kind of moment that occasion. 22 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists. And that was against the, the Hawks in a win, 113 to 105 win. Uh, to be like to have that next to your mark. Now, the previous record who held that was Markel Fultz, right? Another one. Yeah. That career went very differently. Tyreek yeah. Evans, same same thing. So, uh, I will never say that he is going to be a multi-time All Star because I've just had like, my heart ripped out too many times. So, but I absolutely is there, and I've said it on here. I think he, his potential is as good as anything we've seen in the NBA. But he also the floor is also a lot lower for a lot of these guys than a lot of us care to admit. Yeah, I mean, what's going to help him out in the All-Star department is his huge following. It's like, as long as fans have a vote, he'll get some love. He'll just be in that, in that area uh, it's a great of point. the conversation. It's a great point. They'll get him in that game. <laughs> They're going to get him in that game. <laughs> but hey, uh, hey, James, I appreciate you hopping on with me. Um, give, give yourself a few plugs here. Yeah, so you can uh, follow me on Twitter is where I... We'll put like a lot of them bits of research or insight I get. So that's at British underscore buzz. You can also read me on at the hive.com, the Charlotte Hornets SB Nation website. I kind of write uh, on there and then also host the weekly at the hive live podcast as well with my co-host Chase Whitney. And we normally do like uh, episode once every five to seven days covering all things Hornets, getting guests on. Sam, we're going to have to view on now at some point, I'm afraid. You're going to have to repay the favor. I'm down. Um, Hit me up. So, uh, yeah, that's where you can find and listen to me. And uh, you'll you'll probably see me at times on, on hornets.com in the Zoom media calls and stuff like that. I've um, been, been lucky enough to be able to get access to that over the past year. And, and hopefully they keep some some level of kind of uh, Zoom media availability access in this upcoming season because that's been a – Really useful piece of insight I've been able to add to some of my analysis this year. So, yeah, give me a follow if you want kind of like unbiased, honest uh, coverage of the Hornets. That's how I try and try and uh, pitch myself. All righty. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Sam. A big thank you to James. Thank you for listening to the Believe in Hornets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network presented by Bet Online. I've been Sam. You've been great. Talk to you soon. Peace. Perfect. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done 